You're listening to Beyond the Class, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cape Breton University. I'm your host, AJ Fraser, and in this episode, we talk to Dr. Jeffrey Lee Dadswell, Associate Professor of Physics in the Department of Math, Physics, and Geology at Cape Breton University. We talked to Jeff today specifically about a teaching innovation he's been honing for some time now, and one that captivated my interest when searching for ways to engage students in active learning in STEM during the COVID-19 pandemic. Jeff is a thoughtful, learner-centric faculty member who's dedicated much of his academic career to ensuring students in his courses not only understand key concepts necessary to moving on in their programs, but to master them in a way that is personal and engaging. I've been curious how the mastery task assessment method can translate to other disciplines, and that's something we discussed in this episode. There's, There's lots of interesting things here for pretty much anybody. I really hope you enjoy our chat. I'm Jeff Lee Dadswell. Uh, I am a physics professor, uh, so I'm in the Department of Math, Physics, and Geology. Um, uh, I mostly teach first-year intro courses because we don't have a physics degree program here. So most of the most of the teaching I'm doing is service to the various other. Uh, degrees that need physics, and that basically means first year. Um, uh, I do research primarily in, um, well, the when, when people ask me at parties what my research is on and I'm trying to give a one-sentence answer, I'll say I study heat flow. Um, uh, if a physicist asks me, then I'll say I'm a transport theorist. Um, uh, and then increasingly, I'm doing pedagogical research as well. I think it would be um, it wouldn't be a stretch to say that you're uh, recognized as a as an excellent teacher, and and so we've had some um, good interactions since my time starting here at the CTL, and um, one of the things that really has captivated me, I, I find interesting, uh, is this idea of mastery tasks. I think this is where we'll start a conversation today. It was something that was totally new to me, and I'm not entirely sure I understand. The whole method so i'm excited for the conversation okay. so what is a mastery task or mastery tasking or however you phrase it um what's that method of teaching and why is it effective right so um i mean i'll i'll start off by saying i do a lot of um sort of unusual things in my teaching but most of them are other people's ideas the mastery tasks are the one that i can point at and say that one <laughs> that one was my idea um so i'm 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 sort of um probably too proud of them um uh so uh maybe maybe a good way of talking about them is to say where the idea came from um, so when I was a grad student, I was at the University of Guelph, um, and there were these very innovative first-year um, intro physics for the life sciences courses there that had been developed in-house there, um, and they were using what's referred to as a mastery learning model. Now, I'll start off by saying among education folks, mastery learning has a bit of a bad name, right, because it comes out of behaviorism. Um, but there are lots of non-behaviorist reasons for doing mastery learning. Anyway, so these courses were run at a you know student's own pace sort of thing. There was this the the course sort of re- revolved around the quiz room, and students would show up 
in their own time, sort of whenever they wanted at the quiz room and say, uh, I want to do quiz number five, they'd be handed the quiz, a randomized version of it. They'd sit down, they'd have some fixed time, I think it was 20 minutes or something, to complete it. And then they would sit down with a TA and the quiz would be marked right in front of them um, so they'd get instant feedback. Mm -hmm. And then if they got, the target was, I think, 85%. If they got 85% or higher on the quiz, great, they're done, right? And, and it just goes down as a completion. And if they get under that, okay, go away, study a little more, come back and try again, right? And it's this repeated try again, try again until you've got it. And this is the idea of mastery learning. So I wanted to be able to somewhat reproduce that try again, try again aspect, but I wasn't in a situation where I would have a room full of graduate student TAs right. um, to run it. And so my solution was mastery tasks. Um, so the idea of the mastery tasks is they're very fast. They have to be much faster than the sort of quiz that was done in that model. Um, and they're a single task highly focused on a core central idea or core central skill in the course. Um, so the student shows up at my office or wherever and I, uh, I run them so that students can show up anytime to do them because they actually don't require a lot of my attention. Okay. Um, uh, well, I mean, a lot of the time I'm over in the math and science center, and that's another thing to talk about. Um, and then I have lots of students turn up all at once. And then of course they require my full attention, right? But if I just have one student show up at my office, I can, they walk in, they say, you know, Jeff, I want to do mastery task number two or whatever. And so I say, sure. And I just hand it to them and it's a random version yep. and they sit down maybe at my desk, maybe just out in the hall if they're more comfortable and they do it and they're designed to be two to five minute tasks. They're things like for, for those who know what a first year physics course looks like, here's a sort of complicated situation. Draw the free body diagram of this object. Uh, here's a projectile. Um, uh, write down the knowns and non unknowns, right? Initial components of velocity and so on. Things like that, which if the student knows what they're doing, they should be able to do in two to five minutes. And then they bring it straight back to me and right in front of them, I'm going to mark it. And they're quick for the student to do. They're even quicker for me to assess. I can usually tell within 10 seconds whether they've done it correctly. And then if they've done it correctly, okay, it's just marked off as done. And if it's not correct, then I'm going to give them a quick little teaching moment to yep. show them, you know, why what they did wasn't correct and, and explain some of the reasoning behind it and now hand them a new, a new version. Rinse and repeat, right? And you just keep doing it until they're able to do the task. Um, and it doesn't matter how many times it takes them to complete it. As long as they complete it, it's just marked down as complete. Um, so. Uh, for me, it has several key things that I like. One is that for the students, once they see how it works, it's very low stress. They're all very nervous the first time they do one, but once they, once they see how it works, it's very low stress, right? Because the only consequence for getting the question wrong or however you want to phrase that is, well, try again. 
Um, uh, second of all, um, it forces the students to come and see me. And so it gets that one-on-one -on -one relationship set up mm -hmm. between me and the student, I think far better than anything else I've ever tried. Um, uh, and then thirdly, it really efficiently directs my attention to the students who need it the most, right? Because student, some students are right on top of the ideas and so on. They're gonna turn up. I hand them the mastery task. They do it in two minutes. I look at it for 10 seconds, say, yep, that's right. Can you just explain your reasoning there? Okay, great, you're done, right? Right, And they're out the door. And then another student turns up and they're having some more struggles. Well, they're about to get a whole lot of one-on-one -on -one help from me because we're gonna do this mastery task three, four, maybe five times before they get it right. And each time they're getting more feedback from me. There's a, I mean, there's so much we can dive into there about the operational uh, side of it. Um, I'm wondering, A, for let's say one introductory level physics course, a first year course, how many mastery tasks do you um, require of these students? Right. Roughly. So I'm running a course with typically in the neighborhood of, say, 50 students. Yep. That's fairly typical. Um, I'm requiring that they complete, I think what I've more or less settled on that works for this course is five tasks. Five tasks. Right, and that's five completed tasks, Okay. right? Many students will take two or three attempts to complete each one of those, right? Um, so, uh, you know, if you sort of think of the time that takes me in total, right? So we're talking uh, 50 students times five times, times really for me in total, not a lot more than a minute per student. Mm, you know, some students are gonna need a little more than that, but about a minute per student, right? And okay, so it's basically 250 minutes over the entire course. You know, compare that with assignment marking, it's actually a very small time load for me. And where do these five mastery tasks sort of fit in your, your, your complement of right. assessment? So um, for me, they are, so I run a flipped classroom. Um, so the workflow for the student is in each topic unit, they have an online lesson that they're completing before class, before we've even um, arrived at that topic in class. Um, we then spend fairly typically two, sometimes three classes on a topic um, with in-class activities and clicker questions and stuff like that going on. Um, and then there's an assignment, but in between the class and the assignment for some of the topic units, right, because I'm only getting them each to do five mastery tasks, and there are typically nine or ten topic units in the course, right? But So for some of those, the mastery task is deliberately positioned in terms of where its deadline is so that it's just before the assignment deadline. And so for me, it's kind of the last check before submitting an assignment of, are, are you ready, right? Have you mastered this key central skill that's going to be crucial for completing this assignment, 
right? And it's a great check-in for that so that then I get far better assignments submitted because I'm not having a lot of people, you know, say, submit their assignment on Newton's second law and they don't even know how to draw a, a free body diagram. Right. right. The 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 task itself. You, you said it was just kind of like a a pass pass or redo. Yeah. Um, does it have uh, a mark associated with? It? Nope. No. No. Nope. Okay. They, so they're they're just to do them. Oh, as in as in, is there a, a, a weighting of them in the course mark? Sorry. Yes. Yes. So is, yes. is it um, towards their final evaluation? That's right. Yeah. So so typically five or ten percent of okay. the course mark is for completing the mastery tasks, um, and. Almost, I mean, basically, the students end up being the, the vast majority of the class does every single mastery task I was they're required ask to that, do. Yeah. They all get a perfect five or ten percent, and then there will be a few students who do none, right? And that's those are then students who are also doing nothing else typically. Mm -hmm. Okay, right? um, and very few in between those two extremes. Basically, once they see how these work they they commit to doing them because they're so fast and they see the benefit. They I get a lot of feedback from them that they see the benefit of doing them. Uh, you feel as though it's not a huge time commitment on your part per course, per, per student. Yeah. Um, and how are you making yourself available? You said students will come to your office <laughs> or sometimes you're going to the Math and Science Center. And I am really interested in, yeah, um, where are you? When are you? Right. Uh, how do you make yourself available to students? Because they have course yeah. loads and yeah, you know, yeah. jobs and all that yeah. stuff. Too. So I mean, this is this is something that, of course, is actually hugely problematic, right? Um, uh, I spend too much time on my teaching, and my research, for example, suffers because of it. And I need to I need to figure out ways to do with that. And actually, the mastery tasks are intended as part of my way of dealing with that, right? They are designed to be very quick. Um, uh, but I will say I probably am still allowing myself to be too available in terms of how disruptive it is on me, right? So right now, my course policy is I'm always on, <laughs> right? I have an open door policy. Uh, a student can turn up at my office anytime. Uh, and, you know, there will be rare times when I'll say, mm, I'm in the middle of blah, 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 right? You know, this team's meeting or whatever. Please come back later. But almost any other time, um, they're going to turn up and I'm going to hand them a mastery task. But, and here's where we get to the Math and Science Center. And I think the Math and Science Center is, is worth talking about because to me, it's central to my teaching. Um, I, I would actually say a major goal of my introductory courses this isn't listed in the course goals on the on the on the syllabus but maybe it should be a major goal of these courses is to push the students into the math and science center and get them using it um, and so part of my policy in the courses is that i spend my office hours in the math and science center and so, you know, the, the, the joke is, yeah, Jeff, Jeff is in his office all the time except during his office hours, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Um, then I'm in the Math and Science Center. And that is partly because it just makes it really easy to uh, deal with large numbers of students all wanting to do the mastery task, right? Because I can turn up and I can have, you know, 10 or 20 students come and say, Jeff, hand me the mastery task, and I'll just hand it to them all, and they're going to spread out around the room and sit down and do their mastery tasks, and then they're going to be 
coming back to me periodically to, to get me to look at them. And so I can handle a large number of students and I just get to sit down in the math and science center. Um, for the uninitiated, can you explain the math and science center a little bit and shout out to Mike, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so Mike Mike uh, is the coordinator of the math and science center. I don't think that's his actual title. Um, uh, um, but so the math and science center uh, is a place where peer tutoring is made available. That's that's the essence of it. Um, so, so Mike is in there uh, uh, and he does a certain amount of the tutoring uh, and then there are students hired to provide tutoring except they're not really and you know they're they're trained towards this it's not that they are sitting down and giving one-on-one -on -one tutoring with the students it's more that they are trying to get groups of students who are working on the same thing to help each other um, uh, and of course, you know, the, 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 the tutors working in there will step in, um, and help out where they can. Um, but it's principally intended as a peer tutoring place and it's open. Oh God. Um, uh, now we need Mike, right? But it, it's sort of open all the time. Uh, 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 I think the student tutors who work there are often only there in the afternoons and evenings, but Mike is there. Um, through the day and so it's sort of open from you know sometime early in the morning until I think seven or eight at night yeah. basically every day when um, you know actually I think even before my time with the, the CTL but certainly in the, the early stages of me working at CBU I would walk by what was the student learning commons now an area where they do uh, primarily advising and, and mm -hmm. uh, student services but I would walk by and I didn't know Mike at the time. I knew you mostly by reputation, and uh, it would be the two of you and uh, you know groups of students in these pods pouring over, and they're uh, you know all of this what seemed to me to be complicated, mathy, difficult work. And there's a you know there's a whiteboard, and yeah. people are going up and doing these things, and yeah. it, it really seemed like a very engaging, uh, fun, and I don't know, cohort-driven environment. Yeah, yeah, it really, uh, so, and you know, my reasons for thinking of this as so central um, is, okay, so first of all, right, students are far better at teaching each other than instructors like me are at teaching them. And so anything we can do to get them working together and teaching each other is gonna be good. And so that's part of what the Math and Science Center is doing. But second of all, ultimately, um, the, the thing of more value that they're going to get out of their education is often going to be the peers they meet during it. And so as an institution, and I don't think many universities do much deliberately in this direction, and we should be, we should be doing more deliberately to build those peer networks to support them and so on, right? And, and a place like the Math and Science Center is a piece of that puzzle. Shannon Ezat and I have talked a bit, bit, bit about this in a podcast episode we record. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, so, uh, and, and like I say, it's a piece of that puzzle. Um, there needs to be more than, than just, you know, first year help center type places. Um, but boy, oh boy, those, those do a large part of the heavy lifting of, of forming a community of students. Right. Um, so talking about the learners, 
your learners, they have uh, different experiences, educational backgrounds. They might come from uh, different countries and cultural contexts, their own natural abilities, interests. So, um, you know, you talked about the learners that they come in, they might just be able to do the mastery task in a few minutes, pass it off. The others that take more time and have to do more and more mm-hmm. iterations. Um, you know, I'm wondering how do you ensure that there's a sustainable level of work for all of your students? Now, I understand <laughs> some of the students that get the work, the task done quickly, it's because of their preparation. Yeah. So they put the work in beforehand. Yeah. Other students, maybe they're just trying to get it done quick and it ends up taking yeah. longer. Yeah. But for some students, it's, it's a possibly aptitude could be something in their background, yeah. right? Yeah. And I mean, I always shy away from even the idea of aptitude, right? The, most of this, uh, you know, the, when people study this, looking for aptitude, aptitude seems to be a very difficult thing to right. actually find, right? <laughs> yes, so, yes. so um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it seems a bit like Sasquatch. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think ultimately this is probably more a question of background. Um, uh, and it's it's a question of um, effortfulness, um, right? So um, you know, yes, there's the preparation they come in with, and then there's the amount of work they're putting into the course. Those two things tend to be highly correlated because if they have good work habits in the course, that's probably because they developed those good work habits earlier, and that means they come into the course better prepared. Um, so, um, I mean, that's another thing, and I think I am quite explicit about this in the course goals, that in fact, I, I really think the course is much more uh, these first-year courses are much more about developing work habits than they are about learning physics. Are you explicit about developing those work habits? Because yes. you, you do run a flipped classroom. So, yeah. I mean, that actually puts a lot of onus on the yeah. student when they're coming from high school into yeah, university. Yeah. That's that's a different yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm very explicit about the idea that, you know, as a, that one of the things I say on the first day is um, uh, learning physics and probably learning almost everything, but it's really obvious with learning physics is a lot more like um, learning to play a musical instrument really well or learning to play a sport really well. It's all about practice, practice, practice. Um, and so I very, and you know, that's one of the things I say right off the top of the course. And so then, okay, yeah, that's what we're doing in this course. I've set this course up um, to push you at that practice, practice, practice. Um, uh, and the whole course is sort of built around that. Um, uh, that does mean, right, and you, you were talking about student workload, and that's the other highly problematic thing here, right? And, and I have not always hit the balance well. Um, the feedback from the students currently in this course suggests that these days I've hit a balance. Um, these days they're saying, yes, the course, the, the, the overwhelming feedback I get these days is this course is very heavy, but it's worth it. Uh, whereas, you know, say five to 10 years ago, I was getting a lot of feedback of this course is crazy, right? I, ha- um, I have heard that you do demand a lot of your students. However, you are supportive and they end up learning the material. Right. I, I mean, I still worry that 
while they may feel the workload is reasonable, sometimes they're saying things like, yes, the workload, I can manage the workload because the workload in my other courses isn't as demanding. Well, that's not really fair, right? right? If I'm taking them away from their other courses. So I think I still have work to do to get the workload down. But the mastery tasks are frankly part of the solution to that. Okay. Right? The mastery tasks, because they really are very fast for almost all the students. Um, uh, it, it's a very condensed, distilled um, uh, uh, assessment for learning. Mm -hmm. um, uh, as opposed to what takes the huge amount of their time and is the main thing I'm sort of still struggling with redesigning, which is the assignments. Okay. The, the assignments are highly, highly time consuming. Uh, they're a lot lighter now than they were, say, 10 years ago. Um, although part of the reason for that is the mastery tasks, right? I've been able to say, okay, these things that I was getting them to show me they could do on assignments, I can more efficiently get them to show me that they can do these things using mastery tasks. And it's way quicker. Um, and, and so now I don't have to do that on the assignments. Great. The assignments just got smaller, right? In 2020, everybody had to you know, <laughs> rapidly transition to online teaching, um, as did you, and some of your resources were very helpful for the CTL and faculty in the university. I'm wondering, uh, because this is, you know, mm -hmm. you're talking about people coming and seeing yeah. you in person, physically going to the Math and Science Center, uh, yeah. being together, and, you know, you're able to yeah. watch them as they do the task. Yeah. How how was the transition? And I'm curious, like, have you tried to adapt it to other yeah. modes of delivery? Yeah, yeah. So the mastery tasks worked quite well online. Um, they they were a little different to run, but they worked. Um, <clears throat> so what I would do, so I couldn't like what I currently do, where I can handle a virtually <laughs> unlimited, no, but large number of students all at once in in say if I'm sitting in the math and science center, right? 10 students is not a problem. 20 students is starting to get to be a load on me, um, but is still manageable. I uh, can't do that online, um, but what I would do is they would, so again, this was a sort of any time, um, they could fire me a message in Teams and say, hey, Jeff, are you available to, to do a mastery task? And usually the answer would be yes, okay. And so I would then call them in Teams. We'd get on a video call. Um, we would share uh, a whiteboard. I typically use Miro or something like that. Um, I would stick a, 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 an image file of the mastery task onto the shared whiteboard and say, okay, um, go ahead and do that. Uh, I'm going to switch to another call because I have another student wanting to do a mastery task, right? Mm -hmm. But I'll come back and check in on you periodically, yep. right? And I found I could easily handle two students at a time doing that uh, during times when there was high demand, right? When a deadline was coming up or whatever, I would up that to three. Uh, and that's partly just limited by that that's I think the maximum number of calls you can easily switch between on teams I'm not sure where it is now but certainly back then yeah it was yeah yeah uh, so it was, it was partly that but it was also just partly that if I tried to do any more than that I'd lose track of who was who and who was doing what right yeah um, but so I, I could I could cycle fairly large numbers of students through the mastery tasks still and still give them all that one-on-one -on -one feedback um, 
uh, via Teams using a shared whiteboard. So it worked quite well. Um, uh, I wouldn't want to try it with a class um, like, you know, the, the, the way I currently do it in in-person classes, I could easily see without any more support still using mastery tasks in a class that's bigger. How much bigger? That's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. I, 60 or 80 seems plausible to me. Uh, I, I would not want to try it online with a class of more than 30 or 40. Yeah, you might have to adjust some of the variables you have going on, like saying these are the times in which you show up. It's yeah. not just a, yeah. a random occurrence. And, and how many you need to complete by the end of the course. And, right. right. There, there, there's plenty of play there to, to adapt it. But, but I found I didn't really have to change. Um, I didn't change the mastery tasks themselves at all. I didn't change the number I was asking them to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I was still able to run them online and still give all that great one-on-one -on -one feedback. And that was then one of the big comments at the end of the course, right? This was the only course where I felt I got any one-on-one -on -one yeah. contact with anyone, mm -hmm. right, during COVID. Um, so that was, that was very sort of uh, validating, right? The, these have evolved over time. When did you start doing them, would you say? Uh, Six-ish? years ago okay. is my vague memory of when I first started doing mastery tasks. So this sort of comes out of, I had always had the, I'll call it opinion, um, that, that it was really important to get students to come and see me one-on-one -on -one outside of class, right? And I tried a whole bunch of different ways to do that, some of which worked better than others. And mastery tasks were sort of the final one that I settled on and said, yes, yes, this, this is working. I think it's a, a really great model because it, it, it does. It encourages a student engagement with faculty. Um, you're, there's no way to um, get around issues of academic dishonesty. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, I know my mastery tasks turn up on Chegg. Right. I, I know they're out there. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I sort of, I do try to keep an eye when I have a lot of students doing them. Right. I'll try and do a little bit of a circle around. Uh, I know that often, you know, if I have, if there are two or three students doing the same mastery task sitting at the same table, they're going to start helping each other with it. And, you know, I sort of say to them, and I'm a little cagey on this, right? Because it's not an exam, right? Uh, I don't mind if they're going to help each other a little with it as long as, you know, by the end of doing the mastery task, they understand what they're doing. Mm -hmm. If that means they got no, not only one-on-one -on -one help from me, but one-on-one -on -one help from their buddy, great, right? Uh, now, it could go as far as their buddy actually telling them what to do, mm -hmm. right? And so there's there's a line somewhere there. Um, so, so I'm not too worried about there being some interaction between them, um, but I do walk around and, and keep an eye on what's going on. Yeah, so, so I mean, the academic integrity aspect of it, uh, I mean, this is, this is part of the reason I'm in a lot of other ways, also moving more and more towards one-on-one -on -one, uh, real-time assessment, 
right? I'm, I'm increasingly using an oral component to my exams uh, uh, because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you really know it's the student's own work. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, uh, I'd love to do a follow-up conversation on that particular piece because I think, um, A, there's accessibility considerations around uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, oral examination as there is with written examinations too, yeah, right? Yeah, we yeah. don't talk about it too often. Yeah. Um, but, but then as well, the sustainability piece and, and your own workload. Yeah. Um, and how does that scale up when you have three courses on the go, five yeah. courses on the go, and you've got this many students. Yeah. Um, but it, it really is one of the oldest but simplest considerations for what's happening yeah. with uh, an increase yeah. in AI usage. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know other forms of, of plagiarism, but um, if you were to advise another faculty member who does want to take on um, mastery tasks, a I think it's pretty evident, but it's not just a physics thing, right? Yeah, so I have a colleague uh, at Mount Allison, uh, Fraser Turner, and he and I wrote a uh, an article about mastery tasks that's going to be published in the Physics Teacher. And right now we're... Well, this is timely then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, it might be published by now. I, I need to check. Um, um, but uh, and now we're, we've spent the last uh, year or so gathering data uh, on mastery task effectiveness. And we're hopefully going to publish a, a paper on that in the very near future. Um, uh, and Conrad Rogers collected more data um, uh, just this past semester. So, um, so we've got a bunch of data. Um, what was the question? Uh, well, I was <laughs> I was leading into um, what would be some oh, pit pitfalls right. or considerations. Yeah, 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 and that it, the, and that this isn't just physics, right? So, so Fraser. Um, uh, is a physicist. His training is as a physicist, but he is actually teaching more math courses than physics courses. But he's been using mastery tasks in his math courses. Um, uh, uh, but I've had discussions with uh, humanities professors who've immediately come back with, oh, wow, you know, all these sort of uh, uh, key central writing skills and so on which if you can distill them down to something that can be done in five minutes, right? Paraphrase this or something along those lines. Yeah, why not use mastery tasks in, like I, I don't think they're going to be suitable for every course in every discipline, right? Right. But I'm a little hard pressed to come up with examples where they wouldn't be appropriate. If you can identify some core ideas and core skills that can be distilled down to something a student can do quickly, right? And so that I think suggests that it probably becomes increasingly challenging in more advanced courses to come up with good mastery tasks. You're on the lower uh the lower portions of, of Bloom's pyramid there. Well, you know, maybe. I mean, I would say some of my mastery tasks in a first year physics course are pushing students like almost up to synthesis level on Bloom's, but it's very easy, very directed synthesis. Right. Right. Um, uh, 
so so I wouldn't even say that you need to be low on Bloom's taxonomy. I would be I would be highly suspicious of using mastery tasks for, you know, just straight memorization or something like that. Not right? necessary. I, yeah, I, I think that's that's swatting a fly with a <laughs> sledgehammer, right? Um, uh, um, so, but I would say, you know, you're, you're probably right that they most comfortably sit somewhere in the middle of Bloom's taxonomy at the, you know, application level or something around there. Um, uh, well, you know, even in pretty advanced courses, there's going to be a lot of stuff you want the students to be able to do that's foundational to the real things you're trying to get them to do, right? Mm -hmm. But but foundations that are in the mid-range in Bloom's where it's probably going to be easy, easy-ish, um, to come up with mastery tasks to check that the students have those skills, right? Would you ever consider, uh, not that you're not a, a busy person, although I know that you are on sabbatical and you're doing some research work right now, um, you have an artist background yourself, um, mm -hmm. and you can talk about that a little bit, but you know um, the commonalities between uh, sciences and, and arts and the work that you do, but also the differences. And I really think it would be an interesting case study to mm -hmm. see this particular type of um, assessment methodology brought into another very different type of course. Right. Or what would seem to be a different type of course. So, I mean, I, and you know, I wonder whether my it, whether me coming to mastery tasks as a way of doing this may have something to do with my arts background, right? Because if you think of how we train in the performing arts, right? So I, I, I have a lot of training in ballet and then in playing the cello. Well, basically everything you're doing kind of looks a bit like a mastery task, right? It's, yes. it's virtually all, it's not necessarily all one-on-one -on -one training, right? I mean, if you're in a ballet class, there are, you know, maybe 10 or 15 students with the one teacher. But, you know, you're doing the exercise and the teacher is standing right in front of you watching you do it. And they're instantly telling you the thing you need to fix. Yeah. Right? I, I also, I mean, I came up learning step dance and I also uh, grew up playing instruments. And so, you know, when we first started having conversations about this, it, it would... It, uh, it made a lot of sense to right, me why you, right. you came to this. Right, and that's you know my 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 advice to the students on the first day about this being a lot like learning to play an instrument well or learning to play a sport really well. Practice, 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 and so it is just sort of in one way a mastery task is just a enforced supervised practice. <laughs> right. Well, you know that's what a ballet class is, um, <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so you say you have a, a paper that's coming out or has come out. There's another piece that you're working on right now. Um, where would you like to see this very particular thing um, uh, exist in your own suite of tools, but also maybe uh, throughout CBUs or... Right. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see other people try it out in other disciplines. Um, that's, uh, I mean, I've sort of been... Um, advertising mastery tasks in a variety of places and so you know i'm going to steli and you know uh fraser and i are going to give a presentation 
on mastery tasks and it's going to be a participatory uh you know interactive one of the the longer interactive presentations and so we're going to get people to build mastery tasks for their own courses during that and i'm really excited to see what people in other disciplines come up with uh, because that's going to feed back into my thinking about what you even do with mastery tasks because i have a lot of like when I look at my own mastery tasks and what they're trying to do, while I've presented a fairly simple picture here of, you know, identify key central idea or skill and get the student to do it in two to five minutes. Well, you know, that can still mean a lot of different things. And if I look at my own ones, some of them really are, you know, a, a skill, something like drawing a free body diagram. But some of them are making a judgment, right? So, so, and sometimes a rather difficult judgment. Uh, the, the particular thing that I'm thinking of is an activity around the middle of one of my courses where they're deciding, I give them a description of a often rather silly situation, um, and they have to decide whether the system is isolated and closed, right? Well, you know, I know what I think the answer is, but they can actually justify a different answer from, from mine. And if I'm satisfied with their justification, then I'm going to mark them down as complete. I'm going to have explained to them what I thought, right? Uh, but there are some judgment calls involved based on, you know, sort of what assumptions you're making that aren't stated in the question, right? Um, so, and, and there, there's another one or two I can think of where the mastery task is almost just an excuse to have a discussion with the student about something rather complicated. Um, uh, so I think, again, that's a model of a mastery task very different from draw this free body diagram. Uh, and that, again, is a model of a, of a mastery task that would port over into a lot of other disciplines much more easily. So I'm really excited to see what, what else people come up with coming from their own disciplines. Now, knowing that uh, you were going to do this presentation at Steli, which we're all very excited to go down to or over to PEI for, um, and then, you know, doing this podcast episode, uh, I'm going to cajole you more into doing uh, a few other things to try and sure. seed, seed the idea amongst the <laughs> faculty. Um, I'm going to leave you with a final thought if you have one, if there's anything you'd like to leave us with, and uh, and that'll be it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think where this fits into a bigger picture, right, is, is worth thinking about. And that for me, what I've got, what I've become very interested in, in thinking about my own teaching is um, uh, what you might call the feedback loop, right? The, 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 um, you get a student to do something, they do it, you assess it, and then what, right? So, um, uh, you know, part of the introduction to the, the, the article on mastery tasks was saying, well, you know, has this happened to you? You've, you've marked whatever assignment or whatever other assessment and you've put all these detailed comments in and so on and you hand it back to the class and every student looks at the mark on the first page and then stuffs it in the bottom of their backpack <laughs> never to be seen again yeah. right and so 
um, you know, that sort of thing happens all the time. And it's what makes a lot of those traditional assessments like problem assignments really very like inefficient in a way, right? Uh, in terms of time usage of the instructor, they may be quite efficient, but in terms of delivering feedback to students that they will learn from, they're often highly inefficient, right? And so mastery tasks for me were partly about closing that feedback loop, tightening it up into the smallest amount of time possible so that the student uh, does what does the, the task, they get the feedback immediately, and they're most often now going to have to take that feedback and nearly immediately use it again, right? So that's a tight feedback loop. And so, you know, I think especially as we are in an age where, um, uh, where say copying using AIs and so on is so, so easy. Um, the way we're going to keep students interested, seeing the value and so on of doing our assessments in our courses is if they see that immediate benefit that, that it's about feedback, that it's not about a mark, it's about feedback, it's about learning. Um, so, you know, that's one of the things that I like about mastery tasks. Uh, and I'm trying to adapt my problem assignments and so on with an aspect of that as well. And I think that's sort of going forward what all of us have to be thinking about. How to, how to make our assessments have tight feedback loops uh, where the students can see the value of it in their learning. I really do appreciate you being so thoughtful about your students and how you are spending your time and their time and assessing their learning. I think it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting case, Jeff, and uh, I look forward to seeing your presentation uh, at Steli. Thanks, AJ. Okay, talk to you soon. You're listening to Beyond the Class, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cape Breton University. I love Jeff making a connection between the necessity of practice in becoming a proficient artist and practice in becoming proficient in other disciplines like physics. Whenever we get an opportunity to talk, I always feel like my questions or comments are being carefully considered and followed up with a very thoughtful response. So I want to thank Jeff for that. I also want to thank my colleagues in the CTL, Debbie, Courtney, Rod, Nicole, Terry, and Laura. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Class, and you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to previous episodes and reach out to us at ctl at cb.ca. If you want to chat about mastery tasks or any alternative assessment strategies for your own course. And until next time, stay curious. <laughs>